Welcome back, everybody, to a show where we try to say like slightly less often and fail miserably. This is Queer Halftime. I'm Becca, my pronouns are she, they, and I'm here with my magnanimous co-host, Kelsey. My name is Kelsey. My pronouns are also she, they. Hello. Yeah. So I got to just thank you so much for everybody who sent us, you know, such nice messages about how much they enjoyed the first episode. The other brand of message we got was also very nice and supportive, but it was from you know, older people or straight cis people who were like, hey, I really enjoyed it, but there were a couple words used that I didn't know what you were saying. So we thought, so we can all develop a common vocabulary. We're going to do like a word or concept of the week at the top of the show, just kind of explain it. So this week's word is heterosexism, which I mentioned last episode when talking about you know, having a male best friend when I was a kid and people asking if he was my boyfriend um, and people putting like weird, vaguely sexual slogans on baby onesies. So basically, as I understand it, heterosexism is the idea that not only are male-female relationships the norm, they're also expected and they are um, superior to quote unquote same sex relationships. So it is the assumption that everybody is straight. You know, it's when you ask your coworker who presents as a woman, like, hey, you got a man? <laughs> so, yeah, anything you want to add, Kelsey? Yeah, I mean, I always like anytime I hear the ism at the end of words, like, you know, like racism. I'm trying to think of any other ism words. Give me another one sexism sexism thank you it's always like in a way that's it's used to make people feel like yeah their experience isn't the norm and it's not only not the norm but it's less than another person's experience which is always what we try to get away from right because it's like who cares (laughs) like who cares who I climb into bed with at night right and it's like you you climbing into bed with a man doesn't make you any better than me climbing into bed with a woman and vice versa, right? Like me climbing into bed with a woman doesn't make anybody make me any better than anyone climbing into bed with a man. And like, yeah, heterosexism. Yeah. It's silly. And it's something that I think that we all do naturally just because like, those are, we, we were raised in this culture. We were raised in a heterosexual culture where everything is straight. And like, I'm sure we've said that about 14 times in the past two episodes. And I'm sure we'll say it a million more times, but it's important to realize that like, at everything you look at is is gendered and it's heterosexual so it's a great definition becca love that thank you thank you uh wikipedia helped immensely <laughs> i have so many words it's like i know what it under- what it means but i cannot explain it to save my life so yeah. <laughs> and you know like i always think that like in our community we speak a whole different language sometimes i'm like <laughs> a lot of the words that we use are words that straight people, quote unquote, or people that don't have experience in the queer community or exposure to the queer community. They're not things people would know. So like, it's good to keep us grounded in the fact that we need to like explain these things to people sometimes. And it helps make sure we understand too, right? Because if you can explain a topic, it means you understand it. Oh, totally. Uh, I was looking through social media, just wasting time when I was supposed to be doing other things. And I came across this post 
that was this cute little story of this woman at work and a little girl came up to her and started telling her all of her favorite mythology facts. And, you know, very cute. A lot of us have met that kid. Like the first three comments were people accusing her of making it up like for clout and saying it was fake. (laughs) Yeah, a weird thing to fake. Uh, But then a few comments later, there was someone saying that if you aren't directly related to a child under no circumstances, should you be interacting with them? Uh, Because it makes you a creep. Weird. So, I mean, are all teachers creeps? Yeah. Like what if a child is in distress? I mean, where do you draw the line there? Well, yeah. And like way to like promote stranger danger, which I thought like died 15 years ago, but apparently not. Like, remember that we were all raised that like the person that's most likely to be awful is the person in the trench coat that you don't know. And it's like, that's actually not freaking true. So there was an entire Berenstein Bears episode about stranger danger. Yes. I remember. I think there was a book too. Probably. There was so much. It was like, I, as a little kid was expecting there to be a stranger in a van offering me candy around like every corner. Same. Absolutely. Or like anybody I saw wearing a trench coat, I was like, you've got puppies under there. You're going to try to sell me one. I just know it. And it's like, that's not actually yeah. a thing though. I, uh, I remember it was so ingrained in me that I have smaller siblings. And when one of my smaller siblings was growing up, I took them to the mall and we were in a pay less. And I was only like 14, I think, um, which would have made them like four. And so they understood what was going on, but like, we're still young. Right. And so I was in the Payless and I sat them on a bench and was like, sit right here. I'm going to go grab something. And I flat out said to my sibling, if anybody comes up and talks to you, scream. And like, she instantly started crying. And I was like, shit, (laughs) like this is not what I'm here to do. And I was like, I'm, you look back at it now and you're like, at 14 years old, you should not be telling young children to scream right like it shouldn't be that ingrained in you so it's like yeah especially because you know the poor people that work at Payless are just doing their job oh yeah it's just a three-year-old screaming yeah so stranger danger was a big thing yeah but I also like I disagree with this comment on so many levels other than just what if they're in distress what if you're a teacher all these other things because like I mean first of all there's the whole it takes a village thing right Mm -hmm. so parents cannot be the only source of support for their children. No. Yeah. I mean, like they're human. They get tired. They get stressed out. I remember one really cute story that we, as like in my family tell a lot is one time when I was very, very small, um, probably six years old, maybe younger. Um, So my brother would have been three or four and our van broke down in the mountains on the way out to the BC coast. (laughs) So my dad hitchhiked back um, to get a tow truck because of course we didn't have cell phones. It was the late nineties. And um, we got locked out of the van um, through actions that were entirely mine (laughs) that I take responsibility for. So my poor mother was with these two very young children on a hot day, locked out of a broken down van on the side of a highway, could not contact her husband who had just hitchhiked into town. She just was waiting for a tow truck to show up. Oh man. And 
So later that night, after everything was all done, we were on a Greyhound bus back to St. Albert to actually stay with my aunt and uncle. And there was this like gay German couple that was sitting in front of us on the bus. And my brother was the friendliest little kid ever. His first word was hi. And so of course he was doing his thing, like trying to start a conversation with these Germans and they didn't speak English very well, Mm -hmm. but they clearly had some experience with kids. So they started making animal sounds and then my brother would identify them. And so it just amused him for ages for so much of this bus trip and the sigh of relief on my parents' faces. Cause they, not only had they been stressed out and anxious, but they were trying not to let on Mm -hmm. to their kids, right? Cause they didn't want the kids to freak out. So if a kid talks to you, like, give the parent a break. Like, make sure it's okay with the parent, but still. Well, yeah. And it's like, you think of like, yeah, in terms of like intergenerational relationships, it's like, I have, like, I have friends who have kids. I consider those kids to be my friends. And I consider it to be like, I take that so seriously that I consider myself to be a role model. Like I put very intentional thought into the time I spend with these kids. I always make sure that I'm at my best mental capacity when I go and see them. I do research into things that they're interested in at the moment because I want them to feel valued and I want them to feel like I have interest in their interests. And it's like, it's really interesting because that's not seen as like a negative thing, right? Because it's like, uh, it's my friend's kids. But If I were to see, if I were in the West Edmonton Mall, say we are in Alberta, so like that's famous, everybody knows where that is. If I was in a West Edmonton Mall and I'm walking by the Lego store and a little kid comes up to me and is like, look at this really cool Lego I just bought. Not only would I have genuine interest and be like, oh my gosh, amazing, but I would want to show that not every single person that you walk up to at that age is going to just brush you off and be like, oh, cool. It's like people actually are interested in what you have to say at that age and your opinions are valuable and your interests are valuable. And like kids get to a point where they would just, they'll stifle themselves, right? If they don't think that anybody cares. And I always think of, this is like totally my jam because like my education is in child and youth care. And I always think of this psychologist that I learned about that kind of created the Head Start program in the States. And his name is Yuri Brofenbrenner or something like that. And he's like from the 1960s. And he had this quote that was relatively gendered and had some ableist language in it, but basically was like, every child needs one, at least one adult that is irrationally crazy over them. And it's like, that's exactly it, right? Like, All of these kids need somebody that is absolutely wild over them and super interested in what they have to say. And so you don't know that the kids that you're seeing, like walking through the mall have that, right? So it's like, it's a drop in the bucket. You can give them five seconds of your attention and they can go home and be like, wow, I met a cool adult today. Well, and that's the thing, right? I mean, first of all, kids deserve to live in a kind world where adults are kind to them and take interest in them. Because I think a lot of people forget, you know, a lot of, especially a lot of people who don't have kids or who don't particularly like them, that kids are human beings. They are the continuation of our communities. They are our future. And I don't care if you don't want kids, that's your personal choice. Nobody can make that decision for you. Mm -hmm. Um, But you can't be openly hateful to kids to their faces. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Totally. Absolutely. Just can't. But the other thing is, 
it's so important for kids to have positive stranger interactions because they build a catalog of what is normal adult behavior, right? So it allows them to identify when an adult is acting inappropriately or in a way that is not normal towards them. Like, you know, if a kid doesn't have any interactions with adults outside of their parents, like how are they going to tell if someone is being inappropriate? Totally. That's totally, totally valid. Like, I like that reference, like the catalog, right? Because that's kind of exactly what it is in your brain. It's like a filing cabinet catalog of like things that you pull out when you need them. And if kids, if every single interaction, a kid is just brushed off, it's like that weighs on their self-esteem and that weighs on their self-worth and stuff. And it's like, it's super interesting because when I think about things like this, I reflect on when I was a kid and like my mom was a single mom. She did get remarried, but she, my dad wasn't very involved in our lives. So he, like, she was busy. She was always, always busy. And I think in order to keep me safe, especially as I transitioned into being a teenager, she would often put in boundaries. Like I remember this one in particular where it was until you're 16 and you have your own driver's license, you can't get in a car with somebody that drives like some, a 16 year old that drives or anybody older. And I think in her mind, it was to keep me safe, but it kind of put me in a position where I was like, okay, so I'm not allowed to do this. So I'm going to do it secretly and I'm going to track down people that only want to partake in hanging out with kids that are doing it secretly. Right. So like I ended up dating somebody that was like six years older than me, like, and my mom found out about it and it was like this really big deal. And like, and it was because I didn't have chances to develop those healthy attachments to people that were older than me that could just be role models And I just defaulted. And like, when you are doing things in secret, when you are a kid that, and you're like, I'm doing this behind my parents' back. If you're doing something with an older person, the only older people that are agreeing to do that are people that want, like, that are okay with you doing it behind your parents' back. Right. And that's not the people you want to be around. (laughs) So it's like, you don't want things to be secretive. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I heard, I can't remember who said it. It was, I don't know if it was an auntie or somebody, but um, they said adults should never ask a child to keep a secret. Yeah. Like, unless it's Christmas, no adult should be saying, hey, you can't tell anybody about this. Exactly. That's exactly it, right? And like, and people, a lot of adults that are unhealthy, even though they might not directly say don't tell anybody if they have this way of like seeking out people that they know won't. Right. So like, it's, it's such a, it's so interesting because like, even in our position, I think that we get, we get kind of like a free pass really, because like we work in this field and like we work with kids and like we run a youth group and stuff. So it's like, people are like, we expect the best of you. And we are those people, right? We are the people that put the effort in to make relationships with these kids, but the people that see us in the streets or at the mall or at the grocery store don't know that about us. Right. So like people often do react that way where they'll be like, what a weirdo talking Mm -hmm. to this kid. And it's like, you don't know anything about me though. Yeah. Also like kids are fun to talk to. Adults don't ask me my favorite dinosaur. And I have thoughts about that. Like, 
I need to tell somebody. And if you're 40 and you're not interested, then you need to direct me to your 10 year old because they are. Yeah. Which is really funny because when I was growing up, I spent most of my time interacting with adults, right? All of my cousins were older. I had older aunties and uncles. Like my parents would have parties where they would invite their colleagues or even retired colleagues. And I would just socialize with them even as a child. I mean, probably because I had trouble relating to kids my age, but that's a whole other issue. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And it kind of along that theme, just even as an adult, having friends and people in your life who are of a different generation than you can be so helpful, you know, and it's usually a work friend or something, Mm -hmm. um, or someone from like a community group or volunteering. And I mean, I've had a couple of friends who are much older women and they have taught me so much about life, like their perspectives and their experience has been so wonderful. And I've even been the older friend to some coworkers for like 1920 and they would be talking about, you know, some person they were dating and I would have to interject, be like, Hey, you know, that's, that's not okay. Right. (laughs) And they just had no idea. Right. Well, yeah, that's exactly it. And you think so much about like queer relationships, right? It's so hard to find that representation. So I think to kids in our youth group, it's like, if they didn't have us to look up to, like I am in a very healthy, long-term monogamous queer relationship. And they ask to meet my partner all the time because they crave that, right? Like they want to see something that looks like what they want that is healthy because so often queer relationships are glorified or they're super, super intense and like super, super sexual. And that's not, that's not relatable to kids. Like the queer relationships that you see in like adult movies, that's not what kids are looking for. Like that's not like people that are like, oh, what do they talk about in queer youth group? Not sex. Like, honestly, they don't yeah. like, they don't care about that. Cause that's not what they're into. So when people make things so sexualized and so like specifically, like we find in like lesbian relationships, right? Like that woman on woman dynamic can be so, so sexualized. And I don't relate to that dynamic at all. Like, It's like, I, my partner's going to hate me for referencing this, but there was this show for anybody that's too young called the L word (laughs) when we were growing up. As soon as you said, yeah, they're going to hate me for referencing this. I'm like, I know exactly where they're about to go. (laughs) Yeah. And this is exactly it because the L word is a very popular show in lesbian culture. And for a very long time, when it was originally on, I had a really hard time with it. And sometimes to this day, I still do because every second scene is very, very sexual. Um, And I find it a little bit unrealistic to what real queer relationships are like. And I think about that show and I came across that show when I was relatively young. And one of the things that made me be like, I'm not gay was the fact that that wasn't the type of relationship that I was looking for were the relationships that were portrayed on the L word. So now, right? And it's like, absolutely, we need to give kids representation that they can actually see themselves in. Yeah. Having someone older in your life that you can go to, I mean, I mean, for one thing, it can break down generational stereotypes, right? Like we are both millennials. We have these ideas about boomers and Gen X, Gen Z and all this stuff. And it's like putting aside the fact that generations are made up to pit us against each other, which is a whole rant in and of itself. That I want to hear because I've actually never heard a rant like that. 
Okay. Well, I will, next time I come to the office, you'll get my rant. Yes. Um, but so we have all these stereotypes, right? Uh, but then you talk to somebody on just a human to human level and it's like, oh, you're actually super cool. And you have all this knowledge and you understand this history and have this perspective that I've never been, you know, that I've never seen or been exposed to. And I think that's incredibly valuable, right? It, you know, brings us closer as communities. Such a common thing is to just wall off our seniors in care homes, right? Instead of allowing them to age in place. And, you know, when you interact with older people or younger people and you see that they're human um, and you can help each other out, right? And just be there for each other. And it makes it a more welcoming and inclusive community. Oh, absolutely. And those, those, like what you learn in childhood transfers, right? Like I hear you saying that you have friends that are like older and like of different generations. And I am like, it was it, like, I was kind of chatting with my partner about this topic this morning, thinking of my thoughts. And she said, like, you have a really hard time with people that are older than you. And I do like <laughs> that. I, I feel very like, I don't know. I feel like there's this like power dynamic that I know there isn't, but because I just, it wasn't something that was encouraged. You know what I mean? Like when I was growing up. So it's something that has just become really, really uncomfortable to me, which is I hear you. And like, you're saying like, oh, I grew up around adults, like going to parties, meeting my parents, friends, meeting their colleagues, aunts, uncles, cousins. Like I was relative, I've been estranged from my family for a, for my extended family for a very long time. And like, I just didn't have that experience. And now I walk, if I were to walk into a room of like people say 20 years older than me and it was all people 20 years older than me I would probably be like oh dear god (laughs) somebody help me because it's like I I feel like I can't relate to them and that's something that I'm trying to break down in my own personal biases Mm -hmm. is needing to be friends with people that look like me thinking that that they're the only people that I can relate to right because that's not true yeah and it's how we like wall off different sections of our communities right it's like oh children are you know these loud annoying little pests and seniors just get kind of shoved into a care home because they don't have any use anymore and you know there's the business professional adults who are probably going to be you know all snooty and whatever and then there's the teenagers Mm -hmm. and you don't understand them and then there's like it's like no we're, we're all just human beings at different stages Yeah. And then there's this really, really small period of time from about 20 to 40 that society is like, you're okay. Yeah. (laughs) We like you. You're in your prime. You're contributing to the economy. You're not doing anything else except working your ass butt off. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, that's the prime age. And it's, you know, we go back to the isms, ageism. Like that's exactly what it is in all senses of the word. And I think a lot of people think of ageism and they think of older people, like discriminating against older people, but you can, ageism is the same for children. Yeah. Like you can be ageist towards a five-year-old by assuming that they don't have an opinion because they're five. Yeah. Their, their thought permanence might be a little fluid, but their opinion is still valid. Right. Like, oh yeah. And like dealing with children gets so much easier when you treat them as human beings. Like I used to nanny. I nannied for a year. There was this one time the boy came home from school and he was all excited to eat like the last chocolate Timbit that had been on the counter in like a box. 
Um, but I hadn't realized that. And I had had a snack earlier in the day because I'd been there all day. And so it wasn't there. And he got upset. And I could have easily just been like, oh, that must have been your mom or like lied. But I said, I was like, look, buddy, I'm really sorry. I ate it. I didn't know that you wanted it. Um, and he, as soon as I apologized and treated him like a human being, he was like, he was disappointed, but he was like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. You know? Totally. Yeah. It's amazing how much things shift when kids realize that you are going to treat them with respect. Mm-hmm. And like, they have some autonomy. Yes. Like that's <laughs> such a big deal, right? Like, like kids have their autonomy and it's wild because we see like, we are in positions where we see the total extreme of not letting your kids have autonomy right so like we see the kids that are closeted we see the kids that are forced into a gender box or that aren't accepted at home or at school and like we see the impact that that has on them so like there's like I'm always like give people autonomy but there's always like a healthy amount of autonomy right like they're still kids yeah age appropriate yeah they're still youth but like if you don't give them any any of it they know that and they find ways to get it that you just don't know about. <laughs> well, because then it becomes an act of rebellion, right? I mean, I know growing up with in St. Albert, there was a problem with drunk driving and it was teenagers whose parents were super overbearing, sneaking out to go to parties and then getting really drunk and then having to drive themselves home because they couldn't call their parents, right? To come pick them up or they didn't have money for a cab. And so like kids are going to find some way to rebel. It's going to happen. But when you make these certain things that can be incredibly dangerous behaviors and you kind of make them so they aren't an act of rebellion, it becomes much healthier. Like my parents were always like, you know, we don't care if you go to a party as long as you follow these rules. And the rules were all around my own safety, right? Like go with a friend, don't let other people bring you open drinks um, mm-hmm. and don't under any circumstances get in a car with someone who, with a driver who is under the influence of anything, right? Like it can be 3 a.m. You can call us, you know, cause kids are going to experiment with things, but it kept me safe. Yeah, totally. And that's so valuable. Like that is yes, so valuable because like the fear, we hear that all the time, the fear of calling parents. Like I've, I messed up. And I can't call my parent. And it's like, what a what an awful feeling that must be for a tiny human. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I remember going to university and there were the kids like me whose parents had been a little bit less strict. You know, they got to Frosh Week and they understood their limits. They knew how much they could drink before they got really sick. They mm-hmm. knew how to take care of themselves. We all knew the recovery position. Yeah. And then there were the kids whose parents have been incredibly strict and they were the ones who were, you know, there were like several cases of alcohol poisoning and kids having to go to the hospital because they didn't know their limits. Oh, absolutely. And like, yeah, you, you look at it, like you think about it, like drinking, you think about it the same as dating, right? Like I didn't drink growing up because I was very much not allowed. So, and I, so I didn't like, and then yes, I did go into college and I did have a few unhealthy drinking spells um, because I wasn't, you know, it's just, I wasn't allowed to do it until I graduated high school. But like you think of dating too, it's like dating was 
something that was very, very not supported in my household when I was in like middle school and high school. But obviously I was closeted and I was gay and I didn't know. So I was searching for something. And in my mind, the only way that I could find it was by dating around. And I was not allowed, (laughs) but I found probably the most 7,000 people in my town. I found every single unhealthy human being, every single one under the age of 30. I'm pretty sure I dated. And it's like, that's what you do, right? Like, because you're not allowed to do it. So you seek it out in other ways that are way more dangerous and way more unsafe. And oh yeah, you end up in really crappy positions. I, I put myself in so many dangerous situations. The stories I could tell people about stupid shit that I got into because I wasn't allowed. Right. And it's like, some of it, I still keep down. Some of it, my parents will still never know about, but I got some serious trauma from that life because everything I did was secretive. Yeah. Yeah. And even, even being allowed to do certain things, there are still like, there was still an incredible amount of naivety on my part, especially when it came to dating. And I, like you said, I put myself in some situations that I got extremely lucky mm-hmm. that they didn't go really south. Yeah, absolutely. And like, we could almost blame that on lack of representation, right? Because it's like, yeah, both of us were closeted. We didn't know about it. So like, you look for relationships that look like what you want. And um, you know what sucks? Healthy relationships, healthy straight relationships on social media and portrayed in the movies, doesn't matter how healthy they are, doesn't matter how attractive they are, doesn't matter what's going on, queer kids don't want that. Queer kids would rather have an unhealthy relationship than that. And that's what we need to like steer away from and give them more places to see things that are healthy and that look like what they want to be when they grow up, for lack of a better term, right? Because they don't have the language. So you give them things that look like what they identify as, you give them a same-sex couple, you give them a genderqueer couple, you give them a trans couple to look at, they're less likely to seek validation from negative places and like people that don't care. Yeah. We're passionate about this, in case Absolutely. you tell. <laughs> representation yeah absolutely I mean and even with like straight relationships on tv so many of them are wildly unhealthy like like you shouldn't hate your spouse that much no there I've had so many friends in straight relationships that have come up to me and my partner and been like why like why don't you ever fight Because she's literally my best friend. We don't, like, we don't have anything to fight about because we can have a conversation. And you can communicate. Like, you have that level of trust and openness. Like, if hypothetically you or her were to say or do something, you can be like, hey. That sucked. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But it's like, people are like, when was the last time you yelled at your partner? Four years. Never raised my voice at her. Never. Because you don't have a need to. Because it's not, that's not it <laughs> that's not it yeah a hundred percent there was this woman wrote like an op-ed in the new york times recently she's like releasing a book about marriage <laughs> just goes on and on about how much she hates her husband <laughs> it's like have you ever 
like brought this up with him and she's like no just wondering if you've been transparent like like imagine being this poor dude and like opening the new york times and seeing your wife how much she hates you and this is just a snippet from her book about it (laughs) yeah she wrote a whole book oh man like that's just what an awful way to live (laughs) like what an awful way to live. And I think the worst part about it is that people think it's funny. Yeah. It's like, it's not funny. It's sad. <laughs> like people being miserable in their lives is really, really sad. Yeah. I think my favorite was a friend of mine convinced me to watch Bob's Burgers and like Bob and Linda's marriage. makes me so happy. <laughs> Literally it's that show is my girlfriend's favorite show of all time for that exact reason. Yeah. See, this is why me and your girlfriend need to be best friends. I know it's true. I'm not gonna have any friends by the time she's done taking them all. <laughs> yeah, no, I yeah, that the, Bob and Linda. If you haven't watched Bob's Burgers, listeners, this is your one recommendation from this just one episode. It's stupid, and it is about burgers, but it's healthy and relatable. Weirdly enough. Yeah, and like their kids are so weird, but Bob and Linda support yeah. them. Like they don't try to change their strange children. We all need a Bob and Linda. I don't and it, like people that are familiar with TikTok trends. I just wait, I'm waiting for somebody to be like, there's this like TikTok trend going around where people are like, you were raised by a Karen, for lack of a better term. I was raised by blah blah blah. And then they show their like really hip parents. I feel like somebody should make like a whole you were raised by Karen. I was raised by Bob and Linda for Bob's yeah. Burgers. A plus. Yes. Speaking of things that make us happy, Kelsey, what is your queer joy for the week? Oh man. My queer joy for the week is like so work related and so silly, but it's important. And I'm going to say it anyways. We get to bring all of our tidy humans back to in-person groups next week, which is a really, really big deal. We do groups for juniors and youth and our juniors are under 12 and our youth are 13 and up. And this pandemic has taken a toll on them. And we've pretty much only been offering virtual groups since it started. And like, I'm sure you're feeling this too. Like the excitement that I have about seeing their faces when they get to reconnect with their community is like, I just, I can't even wait and I can't wait to see them and like, yes, be in the same room as them. And I think that there's this myth that the queer community is really resilient because, you know, gay marriage is legal and conversion therapy is banned and like, we're doing great. We're not doing great. Like we're an isolated community. You isolate us even more because of the pandemic and like, you know, and you add being closeted on top of that, which a lot of our kiddos are, it's, this is not a good time to be a gay kid. So I am, that's my queer joy is I am super, super excited. I've printed um, a bunch of RuPaul Drag Race coloring pages for them to color because what else do you print? Um, Yeah, so I'm absolutely thrilled. I'm also so thrilled to not have to stare at a screen and actually be able to do something in person. The Zoom fatigue. Not just a Zoom fatigue, but we're... Being a person actually allows us to do our jobs. Yeah. Like kids will say things that are worrying and then leave the meeting 
So we yeah. try to address it. Like, yeah. And you know what? You try to leave my space. I am a brick wall. <laughs> Bodyguard Robbins. That's me. You're leaving until we address what you just <laughs> What's your queer joy for the week, Becca? Mine is completely not work-related. Love it. Um, although I did discover it through ologies, which is mine and um, your partner's obsession. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shout out to Steph. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, but it is this app called BirdNet. Like B-A... No, that's not how you spell bird. Mm-mm. B-I-R-G-N-E-T. It's by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, and it's basically Shazam for bird calls. Oh my! Yeah, it's so niche but so cool, and I love it because like I can identify some birds from looking at them and be like, "Oh, that's that, that's that." But there's only a couple that like I can hear their call and be like, "Oh, I know what that is." So this will help expand my nature knowledge. Listen, you are opening a whole can of worms because can I tell you my favorite conspiracy theory in the whole world? Yes. It's that birds aren't real. Okay. Have you ever heard this? I've heard people throw that around, but I haven't actually dug into it. Oh, no. So it's a real conspiracy theory. Well, conspiracy theory. Yeah. Um, It's been around for not very long, but a few years. And it's basically the idea that in the 1960s, the government (laughs) wiped out all the birds and replaced them with spy drones. Um, to keep an eye on America. So that's why you don't see, like, people are like, you rarely see baby birds because birds never are babies. Like, and that's why, like, it's a thing. So there is this ginormous group of people, and I like to say myself included, honestly, that believe that birds aren't real. And if you have a fear of birds, this is the only way you can go because you can't think that they're real. But what they are all is Russian spies. All birds, Russian spies. There's your conspiracy theory for the week. I'm serious. You Google it. Vice just did an article on it um, where they like interviewed the like head of like this movement. And then Vice was like, hey, like this is a big joke. And now the head of the birds aren't real movement is like (gasps) trying to sue Vice because they're like, this isn't a joke. Plot twist, it is a joke. Um, But yeah, it's just this really, really cool thing that's kind of, it was like a pandemic thing. Like everybody, like with all the conspiracies that were coming out around vaccines and like the pandemic and stuff like that. Yeah. Like this like young 20 something year old guy was like, I'll start something. Birds aren't real. It's amazing. I'm telling you, you'll never see a bird fully submerge itself in water because it's, it'll short loons. But the loons aren't birds. I don't think. <laughs> like, that's not a bird. Ducks aren't birds. I'm talking about like the flying birds. Listen, there's flaws in this. Both of those can fly, Kelsey. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I'm going to let you sit in that ridiculousness and we are going to end this episode. <laughs> So thank you for coming on here and spreading your wild rumors about birds. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Yeah. Thank you to everybody who listened and was so supportive. We hope you have a wonderful week. Be kind to yourself and others, and we will see you next week. Bye.